direction. But don't tell me anything. We'll be talking about the Punic Wars next. <laughs> I'm a little weak on the Punic Wars, so maybe not. Um, all right. You guys ready? <clears throat> okay, ladies and gentlemen, we are rolling into another episode of the Candace Owens Show. Let's just depict D-Day. June 6th, 1944, a bunch of uh, young boys, the average age was 22 years old. Um, they are trying to get over the English Channel. Uh, they're arriving on four different beaches, and by chance, American soldiers are sent to land on Omaha Beach. This is when the Germans were occupying France, and it was considered a crucial mission uh, to win back France. Imagine these boys... Um, the weather was terrible. If you learn, it was very choppy, and they were actually getting seasick crossing the channel. Um, many people who who survived it talked about how some of the boys were were crying and praying and wanting to go home because they were so sick. Um, and because uh, the technology of the ships that they were in wasn't great, they opened too early, and we all know what happens next. Um, it was really just a slaughter slaughter fest. And you think about the bravery um, of these boys crossing the English Channel, it always makes me wonder, would the young American men that we are raising today have been able to complete that mission? Would they have signed up for the mission? Uh, I say this all the time, but when I go around these American universities and I see kids of, of that same age, students of that same age, I just do not see, see that same bravery, that same heart, that same spirit, or that same commitment to American principles and freedom. And you guys know my, my biggest issue, of course, is my fear um, that American men today are just not men. They look different. They look smaller. When I think about my grandfather's generation, the men just look different when you look back at the photos from World War II. Um, and so I had this conversation with a dear friend of mine who I am so excited uh, to have today. And she told me so many interesting facts. And it's, I'm not crazy, it turns out. It's not all in my head. We're going to start there and talk about a lot of different topics. But Jackie, the host of the Jackie Daily Show, welcome to the Candace Owens Show. So good to be with you. I'm so excited you finally came to Dallas for this filming. So yes. here in my backyard. So welcome. You, you do a lot of stuff. And I also want to mention that you are part of the Life Powered Program at the Texas Public Policy Foundation, which focuses on raising America's energy IQ, which is super important and we're going to get into. But I want to talk about the conversation you and I had on a plane. And I said to you my theory that I've been running around rampant with, which is just that there's something going on with the men today. They just don't look like men. And you dropped some amazing knowledge on me that I said you need to share with the world. So that was really a repeat of a conversation that I had had in 2007 with a man named Dr. Brand, uh, who is in fact an expert in the impact um, of hormones on the human body. I meet this guy at a conference and he says to me, why aren't you married? And I'm much younger at the time. I am married now. Uh, I said, I can't find many manly men. And he said, what are you talking about? That's my expertise. He's like, can you prove that men are less manly today than yesterday? I said, what? I believe my lying eyes. I mean, I can tell by looking, right? You can see a difference between men my age versus dad's generation versus grandpa's generation, which is the World War II generation. I was listening to your introduction and I thought you called them boys. And I thought back then they'd be called men. Mm. Um, but uh, in, in fact, you know, you were bar mitzvahed when you were what, 13, um, thousands of years ago. You were a man 
uh, very, very much earlier in life than you are now. Now we have this like death of the grown up, which is the name of a great book, by the way, by Diana West, but that's for a later conversation. But it's, it's related. It's that these men today, and they are technically men, don't seem to be um, as assured, as confident, as aggressive. We, we have this snowflake culture, the affirm me culture, the I'll cancel you culture. If you do anything that upsets my internal, I don't know what view of myself, my world, and it's just not manly. And frankly, I mean, I would say you and I have more testosterone than a lot of these people that we have to go up against who get so angry. It's almost like arrested development, like they throw fits if things don't go their way. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, I, I'm kind of making fun of them, but at the same time, I'm actually being kind of sympathetic because they are genuinely um, unsure of themselves. And so I talked to Dr. Brind, who was explaining to me, he's like, you know what, I'm not sure I'm buying your theory. He said, I have these research assistants. I'm going to have them go do a survey of the research and find out, are American men less manly now than they were years before? So weeks later, he calls me. And he's like, you won't believe this. There was one study that was really on point, longitudinal following people from 1987 to about 2007. And so they just tested their testosterone levels and then tested them again and found out there was about a 20 to 25% drop. And this is not the natural drop that happens with aging that the World War II generation experiences, yet they're still men. We're talking about something different. And so he said, I only found one study on humans, but many on animals, every kind of animal, mammals, birds, fish, big animals, small animals, because it's about dosing, you know, of, of, of something. And he pinpointed the issue as synthetic estrogens, which I didn't know anything about at the time, but I'm working for Congress at the time. And at that time, they're thinking about regulating things like assisted reproductive technologies, which is very much Uh, the use of hormones to bring about a result. Mm -hmm. And at that time, mostly unregulated. And so I was interested. I'm like, teach me more. Wait, just describe. So what is assisted reproductive technologies? Is that? Uh, IVF or anything to help you have a baby. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, um, or even birth control counts as, you know, or hormone replacement therapy Mm -hmm. or people who are taking um, hormones to change their sex. Like anyone who's taking hormones, this would apply to you. That's his specialty. So it turns out, he explains to me that synthetic estrogens are all over. They're ubiquitous in our environment in pesticides, plastics, vinyls, cosmetics, soaps. Um, it's everywhere. And most of them are good in that they you know, make us healthier. They're the foundation of modern sanitation. They extend our lifespan. They protected us from COVID-19. Still do. Um, that's all good. The problem is we, we take them in from so many places and no one is paying attention to the cumulative effect of the hundreds of exposures we get to them in different products, water bottles, even your drinking water every single day. And this is having an impact in effeminizing everyone and everything, men and male animals. And now I mean, I started talking this stuff in Washington and everyone thought I was crazy. Mm. I would lose credibility with people. I could just see my my own friends doubting me. And I'm like, this is so obvious, like the the antagonistic relationship between estrogen and testosterone. How much testosterone does the man lose before he's no longer a man? And then all the research began pouring in from all over the world. Now the FDA acknowledges it, the EU, 
Oxford University is publishing research on this. There are international conferences being held wow. on gender bender chemicals. Just Google gender bender chemicals. It'll all come right up. You can see it. And it's just clearly um, lowering sperm counts around the world. It's why we have infertility problems that we didn't used to have. Mm. It's linked to breast cancer directly and other cancers because hormones have a direct link to not every cancer, but some. And so, you know, obesity um, and in baby boys, this is the worst. Um, these chemicals will cross the placenta to the baby in utero. Between the second and eighth week, the baby is very vulnerable because you're going through your, your cellular organization. Mm -hmm. Cells are becoming brain cells versus bone cells versus, you know, skin cells, whatever. And if you're dousing that baby boy in estrogen every day, what can happen is that he will be born with things like genital malformations now that are that are known. I mean, this is in the Western world um, and documented, and you can find it on your own in any, like I said, a simple Google search. Um, and they, they then track these boys after they tested their mother's exposure from her blood test or, you know, or a urine test, and they find that later in life, they are less aggressive. They are less prone to like rough and tumble play. Mm. They say like every aspect of masculinity is impacted by what's happening in the womb. And so um, to me, that's, that's scary. Where, where does humankind go if men aren't men from the time they're before they're born? Um, so I don't mean to sound critical or, or unkind at all. This is just factual information. Right. And so I've been sharing this, you know, over the years with people and I talk to expectant mothers and I'm like, you know, think about maybe buying a uh, paraben free or phthalate free or BPA free, which is now illegal in the U.S., um, products. And, you know, I took a lot of flack, like, stop your mommy shaming. And I'm like, you know what a mother cares about even more than a momentary fleeting emotion that's negative? She cares about the well-being of the baby. Mm. And why is no one telling this story? And the answer is no one wants to be liable. You know, it's not going to be tested because there's too much it's hot button and there's too much liability, I think, for the people who sell these products. And like I said, I'm not anti-chemical, right. you know, um, <clears throat> I use chemicals every day. So do you. Right. We don't want to live in a world without them. Right. I'm sure of that. So I'm not, I can, I can see the American Chemical Council coming after me now for the things I'm saying, but I just think that we need to do informed consent for the use of products. People should know that What's there's a danger there? to you and that there are things you can do to at least lessen your exposure, especially while you're pregnant. And it's funny that you say that, like when you when you talk about saying it was just an observation, because to me, it's just been an observation. There was no science to back it up. I just am looking at people and I'm saying, there's just no way that you could have, I mean, looking at my grandfather and looking at these boys that are coming up, I'm like, no, 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 no. My grandfather had to be a man at like five years old. You know yeah, what I mean? Right. He was working on a sharecropping farm. Yeah. So all of these emotions and and, and they're really, they feel them. They're, I mean, I don't think this is an act when you see these boys on campus and you know they're they're close to tears because they don't understand why uh, you don't acknowledge that there's 37,000 genders, you know what I mean? And I'm saying, there's, okay, there's something wrong with this. Right. Um, and and I, I same, similarly, it was an observation for me. I said to people, isn't it weird that we have so many women that are signing up for IVF, so many women that are having fertility issues, so many women that are having difficulty getting pregnant, yet just two generations ago, my grandfather, one of 12, my mother, 
one of nine, right? right? So what was going on back then that they're kicking out 12 kids, right? You know what I'm saying? And now we're having people that are a lot of people, so many people that have come forth and said, I'm struggling to have just one. And how can we not have a conversation and realize that there has to be something we're contributing um, that's creating this predicament. And it it actually, with the men, they even look different. They look softer. They look more feminine. Like they're, they're, it's just, everything has changed. Right. And so it's, it's in every product that you have pretty much at home. Well, you can purchase products that are better than others. I mean, I caution anyone buying organic because the labeling can be so misleading. Things that are called, if it says 70% organic, that means it's 30% not. Well, almost <laughs> anything meets that criteria, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I'm, I understand there's a lot of um, funny business in the marketing and the labeling, so be cautious. But if you see something that's marketed as no phthalate, which is spelled P-H-L, phthalate, and no parabens, that's a good start, mm-hmm. you know, or even things like open your windows in your house because indoor air is loaded with these chemicals because you're spraying hairspray and perfume or, or don't even use perfume. You don't need it. I mean, there's some serious daily or, you know, synthetic estrogens of multiple types in perfumes. Um, when you open a plastic product and you can smell the plastic, mm-hmm. well, you're, you're smelling phthalates. Wow. You're smelling synthetic estrogens. You're estrogenizing yourself at that moment. And so it, I think it's impossible to totally get away from the problem, but we can definitely make it better. And we should at least tell people the truth because no one, it's no one's job so far to be on top of the cumulative effect. Every manufacturer has to be accountable to you for the impact of their product alone. But what happens when you use 15 cosmetics in the morning and who knows how many hair care products and who knows, you know, how many pharmaceuticals, um, all of this is coming in together and no one's paying attention to the cumulative effect. We have to do it ourselves. Right. The government's not going to protect you. Well, look, you if, protect if the you. left is going after climate change, I think conservatives can pick up testosterone change. That's right. <laughs> it's an environmental issue, right? It's this an is, environmental issue. It is. like This is like the one issue where I'm aligned with the NRDC. One of those groups that I normally don't follow and would not, you know, um, cite to for authoritative research. And we're at odds all the time because my show's about energy and environment issues. But... Um, they are genuinely and rightfully concerned about this. And yeah, it's a conservative issue. It's everyone's issue. Mm-hmm. And so I, like I said, I was actually hesitant to talk about this because I've tried mm-hmm. in conversations privately with lawmakers, media people, um, the people in our circles, and a lot of them just don't believe me. And I'm like, why on earth would I make something like this up? It's so obvious. It's, it's basic science, actually. Mm. I mean, but I'm a lawyer, right? I'm a lawyer. I'm not there like, you're not a scientist. They play that card. Like, fine. You know what? Google. I'll say it again. Gender bender chemicals. And just watch all the scientists come up telling you what we've known for a long time. But there were no um, um, studies on humans that I could find until 2005. So like I said, the testosterone levels were down like 20 to 25%. From 87 to 2007, what if we had started tracking the decline from the very beginning of the introduction of these chemicals into the stream of commerce, mm-hmm. which you'd have to go back many, many, many decades. I mean, I would depends on what chemical you're talking about, but clearly the 1940s. Um, and then what happens is over time, they'll say this chemical is safe. Mm. Well, then as time goes on, they concentrate that chemical and make it stronger and stronger and stronger until the studies they're citing don't apply to the the chemical we're using today, 
Right. Especially pesticides. Right. Yeah. Especially pesticides. What I was going to bring up because you told me something very interesting about alligators. Yes. And please repeat that story because I was like, oh my goodness, this makes me very nervous. Okay. Lake Apopka, uh, Florida. It's A-P-O-P-K-A. Again, I, I would I encourage you to look this up because <laughs> some of this I won't say explicitly because a lady shouldn't be talking about alligator genitalia to the extent <laughs> that would be required to tell you every result. But basically, Florida... There are polluted ponds because they're surrounded by farmland, so all of the pesticides wash into the pond. Then they have ponds over here that are not surrounded by farmland, and they test the parts per million of the, you know, the toxin, and it's not there. They compare the alligators from the polluted pond to the clean pond. Okay. The males in the clean pond have significantly larger genitalia than the males in the polluted pond. Period. This is like beyond disputed. It's not just gators. Um, they also might have more hermaphrodites born into the polluted pond. Um, and this is replicated with fish in the Potomac, um, with roaches, with... Uh, so, I mean, pick an animal group, and this has been proven. And a lot of the chemical people who criticize me will say, well, um, it's really just about dosage. You know, and for an adult, it's not that big a deal. It's like, okay, well, guess what? The gator's bigger than me, right. and it's having an impact on the gator. Right. I don't know how to compare my daily cumulative consumption of um, synthetic estrogens, who does that test, to what the gator's up against. But look, if a dose of anything is big enough, and especially for the embryo, a little teeny embryo, well, what dose do you need mm -hmm. to have a major impact? On an unborn child, probably not much. It's funny because you said you said earlier, you know, this is basic science. And actually what we have in this country is a, an issue with basic science. We oh, have yeah. a lot of people that don't know anything about science. And I, that's why I love the name of Raising America's Energy IQ is, is the focus um, for what you're doing at the Life Powered Program. Right. We, we seem to be operating at like zero uh, in terms of what people know coming out of school, science is not something that is, you know, is really required to graduate high school. I mean, you maybe have to take one or two classes. I mean, you can get a, a D minus in science and you can still graduate and you know nothing. Um, and so wh why do you think it's important for people to understand what's going on with energy, to raise their energy IQ, aside from the fact that we have people that genuinely believe that the world is going to end in uh, 10 years? Yeah, well, I mean, that's an issue, obviously, because that would frame your worldview. Although I don't believe those people because if they really believe that, they wouldn't save for retirement yeah. and they wouldn't, you know, take vitamins. Who cares, right? They start smoking cigarettes and live like there's no tomorrow if they really believed it. But to the point, um, and speaking for myself now and Jackie Daly show and not Life Powered because I can be more broad there. Life Powered is very, um, you know, it's educational, it's research, it's hardcore numbers and data on energy and environment issues. Whereas my show is wide open commentary and I can be kind of bombastic as I want to be. Um, the reason why I started the show was because I was doing counterterrorism investigations on Capitol Hill informally with my boss there. And you find out that almost all of it was funded by oil and natural gas money. And I'm thinking, how are we ever going to get off of oil? And I thought it was a problem. So I spent literally hundreds of hours studying the history of oil in particular. And first I thought, we're going to move to renewables. And I even got in that business for a while. Wow. And then I found out this isn't going to work. The math doesn't work on this. Then I thought it was efficiency. That'll be the new fuel. We'll do everything with, you know, 20% of the energy we use now. But that's not going to happen tomorrow. And I realized that the answer to defunding the states that fund terrorism with oil money was the American fracking revolution, 
which brought the United States online as the largest producer of oil and mm -hmm. brought the price down so far that those countries can't meet their budgets because they're a one-trick pony. They've got one product, really, that they export, and that's oil. Mm -hmm. So when the price of oil tanks, they're facing state failure. They don't have expendable income to, to fund terrorism in 200 countries around the world as before. Mm -hmm. So the American fracker is really the answer to bankrupting the funders of terrorism. Mm -hmm. And so I was so convicted about this, and I wanted everyone on earth to know about it because every piece of coverage I saw about American oil and gas and fracking was negative. I couldn't find anything positive about it. No one's telling the other side of the story. No one's telling the fact that everything I just said about, um, you know, what's, what's underpinning our modern life, like pharmaceuticals, electronics, um, plastics and vinyls, these are all made from oil. And so, um, I mean, it, it fuels 80% of our economy and the global economy, and according to any authority I can find, that's gonna be true for 20 years. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not getting off oil, people. Like, and if you don't believe me, just you know, write to me, message me, hit me with your best shot, and I will take it on in my show and I'll explain why that's not going to happen. Right. And so things will change. I mean, I have no idea what someone's going to invent in five years that could transition our energy future, but I'm just saying as of right this second, in 2020 and back in 2014, when I founded the show, that was not in the cards. Right. And so it's just, if they don't understand that at a nuts and bolts level, they'll believe all kinds of things. That's right, exactly right. And and you know, I actually um, read a theory, I forgot what book I was reading, but they were sort of talking about when America transformed and quite actually, we're saying pretty much that when America started seeing this sort of birth of the environmental movement and feminism, the feminist movement, and, uh, you know, black militancy, and, you know, against white supremacy movement, it was actually all around the same time. And, it, and the author, you know, made, uh, I guess, was offering a thesis that what really happened and what he saw happen, because he lived through it, was that America was seen all over the world as the greatest country on earth. Everybody agreed within America, there was so much American pride, uh, you know, World War One, World War Two, it was like the, the greatest country ever. And then he said that um, in the mid 60s, uh, or in, the, in, yeah, maybe like 1964, when America formally came out and said, you know, what we are doing to black Americans is wrong right? We were completely got this wrong. We're going to undo this with the civil rights bill. It was the first time America was like, oh my goodness, like this is, there, there's something wrong with our country. We've done something wrong. And the people that were coming up, I'm speaking specifically about the baby boomers in that generation kind of wanted to undo everything that they saw at their parents. How could you be a part of this generation uh, that allows segregation to go on, you know? And they started that, that thought process that everything was fundamentally wrong with America, right? And this is when he says you start to see the birth of the movements. You know, you, you see the hippies going out, they, they, they want no more war. America was known as, you know, drilling for oil and all of these things. They wanted that to be gone. And essentially, they wanted to throw out the baby with the bathwater. Like, yes, of course, uh, segregation was wrong. Jim Crow laws were wrong. But all of everything that America was doing forever was not, you know, since the beginning of time was not wrong. America was this great country aside from this, you know, very big blemish they were willing to get rid of. Um, and, and what's funny is that he talks about this moment, uh, which is a really interesting way to look at it, where he says, what's naturally supposed to happen in a situation is that uh, a newer generation 
generation of kids looks at their parents and they kind of hate everything their parents do, right? And you go through this adolescence phase and you're like, I want to be the opposite of my parent. I want to go out. I want to smoke cigarettes. And then you get a little older and you kind of compromise and you realize there's some things I want to change, but there are actually some things that are really good about what my parents did. This was the first time that the generation, they were out and they were being adolescent and they were saying, my parents suck. And the whole world told them they were right. The media told them they were right. There's something fundamentally wrong with American culture. And we've been fighting that, that generation, which won against their parents who believe that everything that their parents did was irredeemable and needed to be, it was backwards and needed to be undone. We we're still fighting that generation winning the war, the adolescent war against their parents. And that's what we're seeing today when we look at this environmental lobby and their, their insistence that, you know, oil and gas, it's all so wrong when actually when you're quite educated as you are, you know that we're actually doing a tremendous social justice oh. throughout the world via fracking and, and via our oil production. Yeah, I mean, there's no way to raise the third world out of abject extreme poverty without electricity, mm. without energy, transportation fuel, um, electricity, and petrochemicals, frankly. And uh, the sanitation I was talking about the that I just sounded like I was so down on. In fact, I mean, I, uh, clearly, I'm actually very pro um, modern technology. Mm. But there's no way that those people ever come out of their circumstances um, and I mean anywhere in the world, pick a continent where there's ab extreme abject poverty, that will not change in that corner of the earth until they have full electricity for everyone that's reliable around the clock. You can run hospitals, you know, intensive care units, you can run schools. Um, until you have that, you, you can actually get water out of the ground with electricity mm. um, rather than having women walk 200 million miles a day for water, as the UN reports now, well, you're not going to get ahead in life if you spend six hours a day walking for water. Mm -hmm. um, so the only way to help them is to get that energy there. And as of today, the only way that mankind knows to do that cheaply, reliably, abundantly is with fossil fuels and nuclear energy. Those are your options. Right. And they won't do nuclear energy. I mean, I'm, that ended after Chernobyl. I mean, yeah. like they, they won't even discuss it because they don't understand the science behind it. And I was guilty of this too. I mean, once I started really wanting to be able to combat the climate change lobby, I went and I bought a book and I, my mind was blown. And I said, how did I go through school? And none of this was taught to me. Yeah. Rather, we were forced to watch uh, Al Gore's Inconvenient um, Inconvenient Truth oh. and be brainwashed into believing that the polar bears were going, the ice caps were going to melt, the polar bears were going to die, and global warming was going to be the end of the world. That Florida That's would replacing. be underwater by now. Yes, that is what <laughs> is actually replacing um, a science education in school. Yeah. Uh, climate alarmism is really what's replacing it. And we've seen that shift throughout the years. And it never goes away. They pick a new, um, every every 10 years, it seems like they pick something else. There was the uh, the, oz the ozone hole, right? Yes. Um, there was acid rain, which to me, I think is probably the most traumatizing. Imagine being a kid and being told that it's going to rain and acid drops. That was gonna me. That was your generation. That was me. Oh, I, I was that's terrified. the worst one. I was terrified. I'm still bitter about it, you know, because I read that stupid YM magazine and they had all this stuff in here. And, you know, because they're getting to the young girls and um, I believed it. I was a <laughs> rabid environmentalist throughout yeah. my teenage years. I really, because I didn't know any better. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that every five or 10 years, there's a new thing. Mm -hmm. And then one day you look around, you're like, what happened with the acid rain? And what happened with the ozone layer? Are we not doing that anymore? And then they did the global cooling where they said it was going to yeah. get too cold. And I think that was in the 70s. And then my generation, it was global warming. And now they've arrived that, you know what? We've been proven so many times wrong. Let's just call it climate change. Right. Something which that's is... happened since the beginning of time. So <laughs> right. we could never possibly. You know, it's a theory that can't be proven false. Mm -hmm. There was a host here at The Blaze who said, uh, or at The Blaze where I am, which says, um, tell me what it is that we could learn or prove that could ever disprove 
climate change alarmism. Mm. What would it be? What's the piece of evidence they need to know? You know, you can calm down. We have great news. The world is not ending in 12 years. What is it? There isn't anything because it's not really science. Mm -hmm. It's not the scientific method subjects itself to testing proudly with confidence that, look, if we're wrong, we want to know we're wrong so we can get to what's right. Right. And they, they, they don't have that confidence. And they've even turned things like what people, again, once again, people have are operating from a very limited education when it comes to science and to chemistry. And they've turned things like carbon dioxide, which is actually a life source, into Satan. Yeah, the carbon dioxide, the carbon dioxide level. Well, carbon dioxide, that's plant food. You know, yeah. so all you people that keep saying that you that you that you love trees and there needs to be more plants don't realize that they they survive off of carbon dioxide. No, you know, in a world with limited carbon dioxide, there can't be plants. Um, and they don't ends. know. Yes, they don't realize that if you look across the charts and you look at all of the countries, there's actually we're going through a period of tremendous greening and yeah. vegetation. Countries who, who could never never had vegetation now have that. Um, and so you you're they're operating from just such a negative perspective because they have no knowledge. There's no no basic science being taught, which allows them to get on the hook um, for climate alarmism, just like you were when you were young and me too. I, I was actually, I thought global warming was real. I thought the polar bears were going to drown. And now I've learned that the polar bears are actually more populated than they were then. Um, and it's just interesting how much power um, that lobby has in America. And the only way we're going to combat it is through education. Right. Um, so another thing I want to talk to you about, um, because I had mentioned it to you this morning, and I told you that we had someone on uh, this show, Tim Ballard, Operation Underground. Um, and, you know, where I have always considered myself to be a person that's pro-freedom um, and uh, live and let live. I guess you could say that's sort of a libertarian perspective. If it doesn't harm me, then who cares? Um, but one of the things that we don't talk enough about in America and in speaking with Tim Ballard about sex trafficking, um, I realize is that it may not be harming you immediately, but you may be having a horrible consequence across the world. And America is one of those countries which we don't produce certain things, but we are actually the biggest consumers of it. And having this conversation with him about sex trafficking transformed my opinion about pornography, you know, and understanding that they do this, they sex traffic because they will create content. And we are the people in America that are eating up all of the content that they're creating, which made me think this is unconscionable. I can no longer, uh, you know, support, support, or when I say support, I mean, say live and let live, and I'm now adamantly sort of, I'm opposed to pornography. The same can be true instead of drugs. You know, you talk about people talking about, oh, the Mexican drug lords, they're so horrible. The Colombian drug lords are so horrible. Well, who are they getting it to? We are their number one clients. Correct. We are the consumers right. of drugs. It is, I mean, it's not just fascinating to consider America as the number one consumer of things that are so horrible. Well, and it reminds me of a video you made where it says, you know, we are the problem. America. Like, I love my country. <clears throat> you know, I'm, I'm very, no one tears up faster than me when the flag goes up. And I'm a, I'm a total patriot. I love my country. We have to be honest. We are a human institution, this government and this mm -hmm. people. And so we have flaws. We do some things wonderfully and better than anyone else. And there's some things that aren't good. And one of them is what happens when you have a permissive culture uh, with pornography. I mean, I got briefed on this in Congress. There's it's not as simple as you think it is because people don't look at the same images all the time. We actually know from brain science that they want more and more. And there's a little piece of the population that is deviant and they will seek out things like videos that are pornography of people being hurt, injured or killed in the porn, snuff porn or pedophilia, little children being harmed. And when we are permissive, this this will inevitably come to pass and it has come to pass mm. and sex trafficking is actually huge in texas it's supposed to be a 600 million dollar business annually in texas because literally we have this porous border 
And where illegal things move, like drugs, people move with it. Human trafficking and contraband go hand in hand. It's the same people in the same locations. They come in through Texas and other places, and there's actually a thriving business here in Texas, and the average age of the victim, according to the Dallas Morning News, is 13. Wow. This is happening right down the street, I promise you. Some child is being raped, and I'm so sorry to be negative and dark, but this is so important for us to understand. Everyone should know this and not close their eyes to it. Um, So it's a bipartisan issue. I mean, I've seen lots of Republicans and Democrats work together to try to put a stop to it, but we need to be honest about the cause. The demand for the product is here. It's among us. You probably know people who are a part of this and you don't realize that they have to be all around you if it's a $600 million business just here and Dallas being a capital of it. Um, we have to take responsibility for the poorest border, first of all. Like we need to shut down letting this come in from outside the country. Mm-hmm. Um, we'd still have some of it, but it would be manageable, I think. But also, um, just knowing that it, we think there are victimless crimes. You know what? Maybe the dehumanization of a woman um, as a form of entertainment isn't a great form of entertainment. Maybe there are consequences and fallout from that, the commoditization of a woman or of sex you know, or of marriage. I, th- I think it cheapens sex and marriage and, and the institutions that really are the basic fundamental building block of the society, the family. Right. How can it not be destructive to the family? And in the same briefing, they said, look, if a man looks at a, you know, super hot woman in a pornographic film and then another and then another and then another, guess what? His wife looks less less attractive mm. by contrast right. after that. Just like if you're driving a Chevette and you see lots of Cadillacs go by, you're going to prefer the Cadillac, even if it's not, you know, in this case, these images are often aren't even real, right? Now they, they have all kinds of ways mm. to actually make women who don't really look the way they look. And, um, you know, there's a lot you can do with film and photoshops and whatever. But the point is, it harms human relationships, the most important relationships. And almost no one wants to talk about it. Right. And you know what? You can actually pivot and say beyond pornography, we're actually creating a culture of pornography. When you think about Instagram, I mean, I go through Instagram and I am shocked to see the things that I see of what women put on the internet. And it's not even about, you know, uh, men treating women like that. It's women doing it to themselves. You know, this is what they believe to be sexy. I mean, our culture in America has shifted to one that is all about sex. And, And this is largely due to feminism, right? This whole idea of like... Again, once exact same time frame he's talking about where they wanted to undo everything. Well, you know what? In that time frame throughout the 50s, um, you know, women were, were wearing poodle, scoot, p- poodle skirts, pardon, um, and they were always dressed from head to toe. Same for the men. They were wearing suits all the time. Well, the part of throwing out what American culture was was also saying this is sexual repression. And, and this was really kind of brought this whole idea of sexual repression and your inner libido was brought to us by by Freud. Right. Yeah. And and people started perpetuating this idea that, uh, you know, if you can release your sexual your inner uh, sexual libido and all of these things, you'll be less of a bigot. Honestly, this is the kind of stuff that they were writing, right? It's because you're you're sexually oppressed. That's what makes you a racist. That's what makes you this. And we sort of gave birth to this pol- this culture of, well, let's take it all off, right? This is us being free. This is us being sexually free. And now I look around and I'm like, you can you can watch porn without ever logging on to a porn website. You can watch right. porn by going to Instagram, yeah. right? I no mean, question. girls, barely just what's legal. I mean, hashtag free the nipple. Women oh, yeah. upset that they can't put their 
can't they they can't show their breasts um, on Instagram yet men can be at the you know can show um, themselves without a shirt on. It's like this is very different, right? You know, seeing a man without a shirt on is not the same effect as seeing a woman that that, that has her boobs out. Yeah. And they're pretending they don't understand that, and they're calling that you know a, an injustice, a social injustice. So I think that the most women listening would hear us as moralizing or preaching or or judging or something. But here's the way that you get through, I think, to them is to say. This is really about love. Everyone wants to be loved. Everyone longs for a relationship, like historically a marriage, and hopefully still, where you have commitment, you can rely on it, you know it's there, it's based on something real, not something superficial that, that ages out, and it doesn't really matter in the long run. Um, when you cheapen a woman or women, you look around. I mean, the proof is in the marriage and divorce rate. Mm. In my grandmother's generation, they didn't have all this smut. You look around. I can think of so many women in her generation, her friends, our neighbors, who had their husbands right there with them every step of the way till the day they died. Mm. How many of us are going to have that, this generation? And I think it's directly related to cheapening women, sex, and marriage. Mm. And I think all of this just plays into that. So I would say to those young women... Why are you doing that? Are you trying? I mean, do you want attention? Do you want love? Do you think you're going to get love this way? Mm-hmm. Do you think you're going to find a quality man who's going to bite on that at that photo and and he's going to be the right guy? You know, because they just can't see. It, it's it's almost just the way that the teenagers are, right? The, their brain isn't even fully formed yet. Mm-hmm. They can't anticipate cause and effect. But you get to them by saying, please think about being loved. Put that first and, and make that the most important thing because I think they don't understand that they're, they're damaging all of our chances, that womankind's chances of having successful relationships when it's so cheap. It is. It's so cheap and it's so free and it's so out there. And, and married women, I mean, some married women do the exact same thing, oh, you know, yeah. and, and I, I get it. I, and you're right. I don't want to sound like, oh, we're, we're being the morality police. You know what I'm saying? But I do think it's harmful over time. And it definitely is harmful for relationships. And there are so many young women, when you ask that question, what are you doing it for? And I'll see that. What is she actually posting this picture for? I'll think yeah. that in my head, right? right? And if it's for attention, right? If it's because you're hoping a guy's going to slide into your DMs, do you think this guy is going to be a committed, faithful person? Right. Right. Because he slid into your DMs because you were half naked. Do you yeah. think that this is the person that you want to marry? Right. And no, the answer is no. Right. You want you want security. What you right. want is, yeah. is you're doing All it because do. you're insecure. Yeah, yeah. Right. And this is not the way to, to become secure. This is not the man that's going to make you feel secure because he will look for the next young thing that's posting half of her body on Instagram. And I just worry that we we have, you know, we've gotten to a point in society where I can't imagine how we could become more sexualized than we already are. And a part of that is put into the school system. I was reading a Thomas Sowell book about, it's called Inside the American Education School System. And he talked about how, again, um, after the 1950s, they began teaching sex ed. Sex ed. Prior to, t- to teaching sex ed, um, people, there was this whole idea of like, well, people are having sex anyways. Well, actually, the statistics prove they weren't having sex anyways. When they would do have to answer, you know, are you a virgin? Um, I don't remember the exact statistics, but it was extremely low. People were graduating high school with their virginity um, at a high rate. And even the ones that didn't have their virginity when they graduated were only having sex once or twice. It wasn't like, you know, having a bunch of different partners. And since then, it's gone up. And what you know, year was that? Uh, it, he was doing, he was talking about a study that was done in 19, like 1955. Okay. Before the birth control pill hit, basically. Yes. And then they started saying, the birth, yeah. and that's exactly what he talked about, the birth control pill. He said it was actually, they funded 
sex education, like, you know, and, and oh, yeah. it, getting into the school system to teach them you can take the birth control pill and it's actually contributed um, uh, to a more promiscuous society, right? We allow that to happen. It's funded, you know, you know oh, what yeah. I'm saying? And it's so- It's a big business. It's a huge business. And Planned Parenthood being one of the mm-hmm. big profiteers. And the problem is it sells the false message that this means you can have sex without consequence. Right. Well, you can have sex without one consequence, which is an, an unplanned child. What about all the rest of them? Mm. What about the diseases? But most importantly, what about your emotional health? What about your spiritual health? You know, a lot of young women feel hollowed out because they've been used and dispensed with by men. And that's hard to heal. And so um, I don't know if they link the promiscuity or the permissiveness to that. Right. But it's almost impossible for them to imagine um, a healthy relationship with a man, and um, it's it's epidemic. I mean, this is to the point. I feel like there's such antagonism between the sexes sometimes. Mm-hmm. There are these camps of women who hate men, and camps of men who hate women, and mm-hmm. it's all based on a lot of bad experiences that I think we didn't have as many of before. The sexual revolution. Right, right. The sexual revolution was so toxic. And and now you get so many young women and they say, you know, men don't respect women. And my answer to that is that do we do do women give men something to respect? Right. Do, do you give men it's something up to, to you. respect? It's yeah. totally up to it's I'm gonna say it's up to women. I'm going to say women hold the line in a society. We are the civilizing force. I mean, um, look, I'm pro man. I just happen to know that many of them will take what they can get, right? Right. Yeah. And and there are women who will take what they can get in a different way. And so um, you have to hold the line, even if you're the last human being on earth who subscribes to this idea, who gives a flying monkey's behind about your own integrity being exclusive, not available to anyone who wants to click on your profile. You are exclusive. You are special. You are to be preserved. You're not to be given away. You're not a commodity. You're not. You're not a, something to be thrown in a trash can. Right. A magazine. You know. You are a human being. And so, I, I swear. I think it all comes back to teaching women to love themselves. I really think it's there. And um, and having um, hopefully a mother to teach you that and a father to teach you that is important. I think the the breakup of the family and the fatherless families impact men and women differently. Mm. And for women, they can be far more susceptible to a society that says, please give us you for free. Whereas daddy won't let that happen. Right. It's funny that you say that and you mention how important parents are because in that same book inside the education system, inside the American education system, he talks about how now um, the the objective of the education system is largely to undermine parents. And he actually puts in certain homework assignments, what they're named sounds fine. If you were a parent looking up a syllabus, right. you're like, oh, this is fine. You know, whatever, family discussions, whatever it is. And then they'll actually ask students like, you know, if who's one person in your house that's really gotten you angry? And they tell them that this is a safe, like, this is a safe space. We're never going to repeat these assignments. Uh, what's one thing that your parents uh, told you that you shouldn't tell anybody, right? And then he actually quotes these books, these sex ed books um, saying like, the old, you know, the old guard of like your parents may tell you this and that, but that's not true. Like sex is hip. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, right? Like there, it's this conditioning that there's something wrong with your parents' ideas. That same thing of like, you are, you know, you're in control, you're the adult, you know what's right and you know what's wrong. And and totally dismissing the authority of the parents at home, which is so problematic. And so many parents don't know this and they need to know this. And it's hard to know this, even if you are a person who's a total hawk and you're reading your children's assignments, they're able to cleverly um, mask it. Like, 
like with just these blanket names when you think, oh, that's great. My child's taking a diversity course. Um, meanwhile, you've got like a trans person coming to read, <laughs> you know, <laughs> coming to read them story time or a, a drag queen coming to read them story time. Yeah. And that that's part of the, the problem that we have in this society. Well, and where I'm asking myself, why are we even doing this? Why would a school even intend to do this when they clearly don't have the time or, or energy to teach them reading, writing, arithmetic? Mm. I mean... I am shocked by the people I have hired over the years, younger than me, who can't spell. And they have college degrees. I mean, you're looking around, you're like, there's something wrong mm -hmm. with the education system. How can they be graduating after, what, 16 years of school and they don't have fundamental skills? I think it's because they're spending a lot of time indoctrinating them um, and separating them from the people who who love them the most, their right. parents. Right. There's no substitute for the parents in anyone's life. That's why I see a lot of these social programs and I'm kind of skeptical. Like, I know we're trying to do a good thing by throwing money at a problem, but you cannot replace love between human beings at, at the most basic level. And that's what these programs are trying to do. And, and you see them from both the Republicans and Democrats, um, charities, and just a lot of programs you want to scale and and try to be the daddy in a home, and you're not going to be until we, we, we reunify the family mm -hmm. and hold it together. And men start showing up and being men and being fathers, which I think requires testosterone. Where we started right in the <laughs> Just beginning a of this little conversation. Bit of testosterone. Yeah. Then I, I don't see this turning around. So, so these kids need it, and I, I think we have to talk about it in terms of love because everyone knows these these angry people out in the street chanting, rioting, whatever. Uh, the angry feminists, the truth is, I think there's a huge hole in there mm -hmm. that's not being filled. Mm -hmm. And that's why they're not, they need to be affirmed constantly. They're so fragile. They need to be assured all the time. They can't endure any disagreement. Where's this fragility coming from? There's, there's something missing inside. I think you're right. And I think fragile is actually the perfect adjective of what I see when I see these college kids. I'm like, I feel like if I went, you just fall apart. If I just blew a little air on you, you just come apart. And um, it, that fragility is bizarre and it's something that is new. Um, so if you guys are watching this, no synthetic estrogen, I mean, or at least limited at the very much. I told you I wasn't crazy. These are men, these men or boys are looking differently. Uh, their features are softer. Uh, they're much more fragile. They're much more emotional and something's definitely going on. Pick up a book. Uh, make sure your children are actually learning science so they can combat some of the lunacy that we're seeing on the left. Jackie, thank you so much for coming on the show. We actually wrap every episode by allowing you to leave a two-minute face message with the world with whatever message you think is important for everybody to hear. You're going to speak directly into that camera, and you can say whatever you want. Are you ready? I'm ready. On your mark, get set, world, I give you Jackie, the host of The Jackie Daly Show. Thank you so much. Candace Owens is so good to be with you. And I rarely ever say anything in two minutes or less. This will be really tough. Uh, but I think that I talk about energy and environment issues on my show, The Jackie Daly Show, but what we talked about today is actually perhaps far more important, and it's about the human family, and it's about love, and it's about solving problems. And I, I sound like a hippie. I promise you I'm not. If you listen to me for five minutes on my show, you would know that's not where I'm coming from. Um, but it's really the single most important thing of everything else we talk about, and we spend far too little time talking about what really matters. It's human beings and human relationships. And so now that I have that out of the way, the single most important thing, you know, fill yourself spiritually. That's what really counts. Uh, beyond that, I have a mission, and that is raising America's energy IQ. 
on the Jackie Daly Show on The Blaze. I'm easy to find. Just Google it. I'm podcast everywhere. Find me on Twitter at Jackie Daly Show, on Instagram, and on Facebook. Thank you so much. That's a wrap. Yep. That was awesome. Thank you so much. Of course. Thank you guys for watching the latest episode of The Candace Owens Show. I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. As many of you guys already know, PragerU is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, which means we need your help to keep all of our content free to the public. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation today. I would really appreciate your support.